Good morning, everyone. Very good to see you all. Um, thank you to Bronte and Anina and the rest for, for leading us in worship this morning. I always feel like after a hymn like Be Thou My Vision, you can kind of just sit down because I feel like you've sung everything you need to say already, but we'll give it a shot nonetheless. Um, good morning. Um, it, as Peter says, we're in our series of uh, the Psalms with kind of the theme of God is our dot, dot, dot. So far, we've had God is our fortress. We've had uh, God is our refuge. God is our everything. Uh, this morning, I, I found it tricky to kind of come down to just one word. Uh, maybe God is our favor could be a good summation. Maybe God is our uh, eternal hope. Maybe another another way of phrasing it. But but needless to say, uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 90 this morning. So I think in the Bibles are on the tables in front of you. If you're using one of those, it's page 496. We're going to be in Psalm 90 this morning, so please turn there, and we're going to be reading and, and thinking about that in just a second. When I was thinking about what to speak on, I suppose, um, personally, I started to feel drawn to this psalm, because uh, I guess I kind of had a sense of, um, well, just kind of the, the shortness of life, or the brevity of life. I've got a, a birthday coming up uh, next year, which is kind of one of those milestone birthdays, and whilst presents are not required, they're also gladly accepted. Um, and that kind of makes you think, and I'm sure when I, when I get to that point, I'll, um, I'll kind of ponder and think, man, life has moved fast. You know, here I am at this, this milestone birthday. And, and in amongst that as well, we've got this great privilege and, and excitement of having our, our first kid, hopefully in uh, November time this year. Um, and that's amazing and, and full of awe and kind of wonder, but fear as well. And then you pause and you go, hold on. It feels like yesterday I was, I was a kid in the playground with not a care in the world, and suddenly we're meant to be parents? Like, what happened there? Life is flying past. And, and coupled with kind of that sense of, of the speed and the shortness of life is just, I suppose, looking at the world around me at the moment and, and seeing the news day by day and, and your heart being saddened by, well, by the, the hurt and the death and the, the suffering and the persecution. And this sense that was growing in my own heart of just, wow, this, this life can be short and this life can be hard. And, and maybe you feel the same, and, and maybe you feel it in different ways. I think we come at this in probably different, different ways, depending on what kind of aspect and what part of life we're in. You know, when, when you're really young, say, sub-20, let's go that. Um, when you're kind of sub-20, you're always thinking about the future and, and what's going to happen. And, um, you know, you're excited about life, and that's good. But also wondering, how does God fit in, and, and where do I go from here? And then when you hit that kind of young adult stage, it's the, the kind of world is, is at your feet because maybe you've got a career or a money or, or an education and there's opportunities, and, but somehow nothing seems to satisfy and we're kind of confused in that time period. And then, then maybe we move to that sort of midlife process and, and the, the dread and midlife crisis as society talks about. And, and maybe that's the reflection of, oh no, the, the childhood dreams I once had of you know, being the next uh, rugby superstar is my dream. Um, or, or, you know, running for president of USA, which only some of us could do in this room. Uh, you know, those sort of like childhood dreams seem so far away because suddenly we're, we're just kind of getting on with life and we're rightly providing for our families and, and, and making do day by day. And, or maybe you get to that later stage in life. I'm not going to define what that is. Maybe you're at that later stage in life. And a lot of that's about looking back and and reminiscing on what's happened and saying, wow, life is short, isn't it? That, that flew past. So maybe, maybe you've, you've felt that at some point in your life. I think we, we could all say in some way, though, that, that we have this sense of our own mortality of, of, wow, life is brief and what we get to enjoy in this life. 
And it's that sense of kind of life's brevity and, and the difficulties of life, I think, that we're, we're forced to look at in the psalm today. That the, the writer of the psalm kind of holds our face there and says, no, don't try and be distracted by, by everything else that goes on in life and, and how we try and numb ourselves sometimes, how we try and distract ourselves from the reality of life. The writer takes us there, focuses our eyes on it, and then gives us, gives us an idea, gives us a steer of where we can take that struggle and that pain at times. So like I say, we're going to be in uh, Psalm 90. Uh, so if you want to get your Bibles open, we're going to start looking at that. A bit of kind of pretext or context to the psalm this morning. Uh, where is it being written? By, about who? We probably think it's about, say, 1500 BC that this is being written. Um, it's, it's mostly focusing on the, uh, the existence and the, the, the situation that the people of Israel have been in. So if you know your Bible at all, you've heard the kind of the kids' stories. You've got uh, the, the, people, the Hebrew people are, are in slavery in Egypt. They're there for 400 years. God brings them out by mighty works. Um, sets them free. They start walking into the wilderness and, and God promises them this amazing promised land. They just need to enter in and deal with the people who are living there. And God says, look, I'm going to give this promised land over to you. But when they're on the brink of entering in, they falter and, and they suddenly doubt God. And, and they say, well, there's some kind of tall people in there. We don't think we could take them even with your help. Even, even though God's just sent plagues on, on Egypt and just defeated the most mighty military social force in the country. They're like, oh, no, there's some tall people. Can't do it. And God says, oh, you rebellious people. Your hearts are not for me. They're against me. So, so God sadly has to say, I have to deal with that sin. You're going to have to wander in the desert for 40 years. So that everyone from the age of 20 and above dies off. Because that generation is corrupt and they don't have hearts for me. So that, that's what's happened to the people of Israel. And the writer of the psalm is this, is this leader, Moses. And I think, looking around the room, we're probably fairly familiar with Moses, who he is. But by this point, he's become the kind of social, political, religious leader of this um, group of, say, two million people. Who are so close to being uh, on the cusp of entering the promised land. But then have wandered for 40 years. And some of them having a very short life in that period of time. So they've seen the, the brevity of life. They've seen the, the hardships of life, having to wander for that period. And Moses is, is giving us this psalm. And it's incredible to even find Moses in the book of Psalms because we always think it's just David or Asaph or some of these other songwriters. But, but imagine this was so viable to, uh, to the Jewish people in, of history that it was passed down from generation to generation. You know, consider this. this these are wise words. And this would have been a prayer for the generations. So we've got a psalm by Moses. We're focusing on the, the, the situation of the, the people of Israel as they've wandered in the desert. And Moses is reflecting back probably on 40 years of hardship and the shortness of some of their life. And he's going to hold our face so we can see what that's about, but then give us hope and give us perspective on that as well. We're going to split the, uh, the kind of passage up into three sections. Um, we're probably going to move quite fast through, through the text itself, but stay with me on that. And then we're going to come back and we're going to pause and kind of think about three questions that I hope are raised in your minds because they were raised in my mind. Uh, and we're going to focus on those three questions and spend a bit more time thinking about what does that mean for your life, for my life going forward. So let's dig into uh, the passage. Like I say, page 496, if you're using the, uh, the Bibles on the table. And uh, we'll read verses 1 through 6 to start with. 
So a little pretext. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. So what's Moses doing for us even in this, this kind of intro section of the psalm? Well, first of all, it links brilliantly to last week. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Maybe you see in your, your footnotes in, in your Bible there, it, that can be translated, Lord, uh, you have been our refuge in all generations. And we heard just last week from Ron, who's telling us that God can be a refuge. And I think it's incredible that Moses starts this way, isn't it? You know, there are people that have been wandering for 40 years with no fixed abode, no land to call their home, probably few possessions to the name, perhaps. And he says, ah, but Lord, you're our refuge. It's you that we want and it's you that we need. We've been secure in you. And then from there, he goes on to really just contrast who God is in his eternality and who we are in our mortality and our brevity. So he's using these, this imagery. And remember, if if Moses was the, the guy who we believe who wrote the first five books of the Bible, then he wrote the creation account. So God has been telling him pretty much, this is how I created the world and this is how it is. So it feels a bit like Moses is kind of writing that back and saying it back to God. And you, you might see what I mean. So verse two, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So like I say, Moses had the sense of, well, God, this is how you said you created the world. And I'm going to tell you that this is exactly how it was. And before the mountains, before you created the mountains, which are pretty much the most sturdy things we can think of, mountains don't disappear that long, that fast. He says, you are from everlasting to everlasting. That's how eternal you are, God. There's no beginning to you. There's no end to you. You are just everlasting. And he goes on to, to give us an insight into the kind of the power that God has and both kind of what time looks like to him. So verse three, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Here is, here is God who in creation uh, created man out of dust and can so easily say, return to dust, O man. That is a God who holds all things together. And what is, what is time like to him? Well, a thousand years in your sight as but yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. What's a watch in the night? It probably would have been three, four hours. It's, it's kind of a, a period of maybe guard duty. You know, someone would be on guard or, or watching the sheep, perhaps. The other guys would have been on asleep. So a watch in the night, three, four hours, or as he says, a day. So a thousand years to us is but, eh, you know, it's nothing to God. That, that's how eternal he is. So we've got this eternal God who has perspective on everything, and then he contrasts that with with what men are like. Uh, you sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So our existence can so easily just be, just be washed away like a flood. You know, it brought to mind all those great civilizations and empires and kingdoms of old that, that were going to last for eternity and built up great nations for themselves, but then also quickly, they're gone. And we have but relics, maybe a memory, a dream of somebody from the past. We can be so here and gone so quickly. 
And he uses this wonderful metaphor of grass and the grass of the region, I guess, that they were in. And in the morning, it would be, it'd be um, with his dew upon it that would suddenly make it look green and lush and lively. But then the sun would beat down all day. And, and just like, well, I suppose like me, who goes all red and kind of funny colored when the sun beats down you all day, the grass would wither and die. And Moses is saying, that's the contrast. Get it in your head. There's, there's eternal God, but don't fool yourselves. We are very finite man. We're like grass. We grow up with vitality. And before we know it, we're withered. So why is it like this? Why, why are we in this situation? Was it always created this way? I think Moses gives us a bit of insight in the, the next few verses. Let's read 7 through 10 in our second chunk of the text. Verse 7, we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Like I say, for the, the people of Israel... Um, they'd come to this point where they had the opportunity to enter in the promised land, but they rebelled against God. And God had to say, I've got to deal with this sin. I've got to deal with this rebellious people. So everyone from the age of 20 plus is going to have to die off. So in their existence, they've literally been brought to an end by God's anger. They've literally been wandering and are dismayed by, oh man, we messed up. And God's had to deal with us. And all their days are, are passed away like that. And Sadly, they can end up like a sigh. I mean, what's a sigh? Uh, You know, so it's like a nothing, a a depressing. uh. And Moses is reflecting and saying, oh man, our lives have ended that way because of of what we've done and because God's had to deal with us. And he gives this perspective on kind of the the average length of the life, 17, maybe 80 years. But, but even in that 70 to 80 year span, that 10 year span, it's, it's what is it? It's toil and trouble. Because physically, maybe by, by the time they're getting there, physically, that's going to be tough. You know, to keep being in the wilderness, to keep going on, to survive. Physically, our bodies start to struggle by that point. But we're not Israel, are we? We're, we're not wandering in the desert and... Uh, we're not that people, and uh, so is this really applicable to us? And, and uh, I love in sometimes how God in his word can use kind of particular situations, well, to talk into the generalities of life. You know, he does it time and time again. And, and I hope that maybe we can see that, that yes, this is, this is familiar to us. Because remember, again, there's, here is Moses, the, the man who wrote the creation account, who wrote Genesis 3 and told us how the fall occurred, how Adam and Eve rebelled against God, wanted to do their own thing. And, and what was the result of that? God had to curse creation. God had to put creation into futility. So in essence, we're all living under the, the anger and the judgment of God as, as the life around us decays. You know, the next time you see paint peeling off the wall or your car rusting or your child's goldfish, sadly, docking it for the 10th time. Be, be reminded that, that creation is under futility. And it's not like, I don't think that our, our sins are ever hidden from God. I mean, my goodness, I, I, I sin every day. And even this morning, 
Like our sins are before God, the ways we, we selfishly look to ourselves and mess up our lives continually. And then what about our lifespan? Moses uses this, this kind of average, is 70 to 80 years. Is, is life really like that? I mean, he, he uses it an average because he himself is probably getting on for maybe 120 by this point. So it's, it's not a hard and fast rule, it's just a, a generality, as he's saying. I, I did a quick bit of research, so um, as everyone's first port of call, Wikipedia, obviously. Um, but the source was the World Health Organization. I thought that looks a reputable source, that'll, that'll be fine. And in terms of world averages, you've got the highest world average, I think, was Japan. Probably, you know, climate, diet, exercise, uh, about eight to eight years average lifespan. So fairly high, you know, pushing the boundaries. Other end of the spectrum, Sierra Leone, 47 years, average lifespan. So for Moses to say 70 to 80 years, well, actually, you know, he's kind of in the right ballpark in some ways. You know, that the best that we can do right now on average, 88. So hopefully we can see that, yeah, actually, we're, we're being forced to recognize that whew, the world around us is in decay. We're, our, our sins are before God and, man, our lives are short, 70 to 80 years. Maybe by this point you're thinking, this is really depressing. Or maybe you're thinking, we just need to call out to someone to fix this. And thankfully, Moses takes us there next. He calls out to this God in the summation of his prayer. He set the scene. He said, life can be short. Life can be hard. What are we going to do about it? So verse 11 through 17, our third chunk of text. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get... Sorry. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So finally, in the heart of Moses, it's like he cracks and he just calls out to God. And I think he calls out for three things. And like I say, we'll move through this fairly fast and, and then we'll come back and think about three questions it raises. So, so first of all, what he calls out for kind of wisdom. Who considers the power of your anger? Who, who really recognizes who you are, God? You know, it, who re recognizes who you are? In our world, when we can, we can kind of uh, dumb ourselves down, we can um, sedate ourselves to the reality of life or who God is, who really considers the power of who God is and his anger and his wrath against sin? And secondly, in wisdom, teach us to number our days, Lord. Give us a heart of wisdom. Help us to know how to live out this short life day by day. Please give us wisdom for that. His next cry is one for God's presence to be uh, with him and with his people. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. You know, please, God, be, be close to us. Have pity on us because we're mortals. We're going to fade away so fast. So be, be close to us. Be with us. And also satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. It's a bit incredible, isn't it, that He's both calling for wisdom for us to recognize who God is, that he is the God of, of great power and anger and wrath, and, and we should have a, a fear of him. But yeah, he's calling for God to be close to them and satisfy them with love. 
So it's not a, God is fearful, let's keep our distance, run away. But it's, oh no, no, recognize who God is, but draw close to him and ask him to draw close to you. There's a real sense of care and love in that. And through God's satisfying uh, love day by day, that's what's going to make us glad. He's not asking for for riches or wealth or, or ease in life. He's just asking for God. And finally, his, his kind of final plea is a, let it be done, Lord. Let it be done. And so verse 16, he says, let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to your children. Perhaps he was thinking that, you know, there's people he's trying to lead. Um, those who were 20 and above are sadly died off now. Those are the ones who maybe had seen God's power and might when God brought them out of Egypt. You know, they would have recalled the good old days of, oh yeah, I remember the time this plague and that plague and God did this and God did that. But this is a new generation that, that maybe don't know God's power and might. So he's asking them for signs and wonders. Please show yourself in power to, to our children that they might know and recognize who you are. And ultimately God's going to do that. He's going to take them mightily, defeating nations in front of them and bring them into our promised land to settle them there. And where we live now, we might say, well, we don't, we don't see miracles. We don't see God's power at work day by day. And, and sometimes we don't, whilst we do believe that it is at work in our lives and, and really miraculously around the world. But I think for us, we have to look back at what was, what was the amazing um, display of God's power to us. Well, ultimately in sending his son, Jesus, in dying on the cross in our place. In, in coming back to life and defeating death and making a way back to God possible. Wow, that's a display of God's glorious work and power. He also pleads with God for the favor of the Lord uh, to be upon us. God, would your, would your favor, or as it's translated, your beauty, when we see you, when we know you, when you come close to us, would you establish the work of our hands? Would it, would it give meaning to what we do in this life? As we work day by day, as we as we do what we need to do to survive and, and try and enjoy this life, would you establish the work by your presence? So what is Moses saying in Psalm? He, he's saying in this short and difficult life, he wants to direct us to call out to this loving and eternal God. He raises his eyes in this prayer and says, please, Lord, all these things, draw close to us, help us to know your wisdom, satisfy us by your love day by day. That's his plea for in a short and difficult life. So maybe you're thinking, all right, so, so that's what Moses has said, but um, what, what does that look like for me? Uh, what, what does that look like for, for you and me day by day? Um, you know, Monday morning, uh, go to the office, whatever, get the kids up, take them to school, well, no school right now. Um, whatever you do day by day, how, how is this going to work out kind of practically? Uh, this calling on God in, in a short and difficult life. Three questions that kind of came to mind and, and maybe came in your minds as well. What does it mean for um, God to teach us to number our days? Uh, secondly, what, what does it mean to be satisfied by the love of God? Uh, thirdly, what does it mean to um, have God to establish the work of our hands in our lives? So let's just take some time to, to think about what those, those might mean for you and for me. First of all, um, what does it mean for for God to teach us wisdom and uh, that we might number our days. 
I don't think it just means um, counting the days we might have left, because that would be really depressing and kind of silly. Oh, I've got 7,000 days left. Great. You know, what, what's the point in that? And, I, and it doesn't seem to be um, count us, teach us to count the number of our days so that we kind of live in fear of, of, of approaching death or, or God himself. It, the psalm doesn't point us to that. Instead, it's all about God drawing close to us. I maybe came up with, um, with six ideas that, that perhaps would be the outflow of God changing our heart and giving us a heart of wisdom that we, we could pray for. These things might be a change in our perspective. They might be um, ways that we talk to God, the way that we pray to God. And um, there are the six R's, just because that's what preachers seem to do. They seem to give everything one letter, and that way is memorable. So six R's. Uh, they are uh, recognize, reflect, repent, rejoice, reach out, and relish. Okay, got them? Recognize, reflect, repent, rejoice, reach out, and relish. So we'll, we'll take them one by one. Um, what does it mean for God to teach us to number our days and, and by giving us a heart of wisdom? Well, maybe in this heart of wisdom, we would, we would recognize. We would recognize that we're alive, we're sustained only by the word of God, that he has given us this life. Perhaps it's reflecting, reflecting on the provisions of God, reflecting on his goodness. And I know that can be tough because life can be really tough. But I think we can all look at the the day-to-day provisions that we would attribute to God and say, thank you. So recognize, reflect, repent. Repent because we're people that constantly mess up. I know I do. We're people that constantly are are selfish and inward looking and and we mess this life up time and time again so we say god we're sorry we're sorry we offend you we're sorry we we kick against you and we push away from you rejoice rejoice in well in who god is rejoice that he is a, a loving god who wants to draw close to us rejoice in his gospel that that gives us hope and draws us into his side rejoice in the church perhaps Reaching out, the fifth R. Reaching out, I suppose, in some ways mean that we, we have to let go of something in our own lives. If we're going to go open-handed to others, then perhaps we let go of something in our own. Maybe that means letting go of the, the, the tight grip and control we have of our own life, of trying to make our lives um, worth something for ourselves or protecting ourselves so much. Instead, we reach out to others and say, God has blessed me and I know he loves me. Can I, can I serve you in this short and difficult life? And sixthly, to, to relish. This one's a bit, you know, the word's a bit squeezed. But hey, it works. Relish. To relish the hope of, of a new creation. Because if you're a Christian, if you believe in Christ, then, then we have a hope for after this life, after this physical life. That this is not it. That we go on to enjoy a new heaven, a new creation with God itself. So perhaps these are... These are ways that God will teach us to number our days, to, to make the most of our days, to, to dwell in wisdom in our days, to rejoice, sorry, to recognize, reflect, repent, rejoice, reach out and relish that hope of a future with him. So maybe that, that's how you, you can figure out how to, um, to number your days. And, and secondly, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you to be satisfied uh, what does it say? To satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. What does, that, what does that mean day by day? What does that look like? Well, perhaps it's 
perhaps it's just recognizing the expressions of God's love. You know, this world is such a busy place and we're, we're really obsessed with the physical, but perhaps it's, it's recognizing the expressions of God's love. It would be wonderful if we woke up every day and, and there was, you know, the physical embodiment of, of Jesus ready to give us a hug and show us we, he loves us, but we live by faith and, and not by sight. So what are the expressions of God's love? Well, in some sense, creation itself is an expression of God's love. The variety, the beauty of it, the, the gift of it is to us. Um, recognizing the, the expression of God's love in, in sending his son. In reaching down into this world that he would um, himself come into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, living a very short life of just 33 years. Understanding our difficulties, our hurts, our troubles. Perhaps recognizing the expression of his love in, in sending his spirit to be amongst us. You know, that, that way that God said, no, I'm not going to dwell in temples anymore. I'm going to dwell personally with you day by day. If, if you believe in me, I want to dwell with you. Recognizing that expression of his love. And, and also the church as well, I think, is, is an expression of his love and his goodness. As well, I think it's about um, being satisfied and, and reminding ourselves, perhaps uh, reflecting on the promises of God's love. You know, the Bible is full of the promises of God's love, and, and, and some of them talk about the character of God's love, that love is patient, love is kind. We could go there, reflect on that, what God's love is for us. Perhaps it means going somewhere like Romans 8 and thinking that, you know, neither height nor depth nor width nor anything in all creation and all the rest that he seems to fit into that tiny paragraph can separate us from the love of God. So perhaps recognizing the expressions of God's love, um, you know, reflecting on the, the promises of his love, but also experiencing the people that show his love. You know, as, as Peter was saying in, uh, when we started, we talked about our value and how we would be set aside from the world because we, we express God's love for each other. As Becky was saying in, in what she was talking about, bearing, our bur- bearing each other's burdens. Ah, that's a tongue twister. Um, in, in love, in, in caring for each other, I think we experience the love of God day by day through each other. What does it mean then, final question, what does it mean for the Lord to establish the work of our hands? What does it mean for you going into Monday morning for God to establish the work of your hands? I think as a Christian, the funny thing is, becoming a Christian changes more than just, um, more than just your, your Sunday schedule. You know, it doesn't just mean you attend church uh, once a week on sort of 10 o'clock on a Sunday, and, and that's your Christian life. Becoming a Christian changes so much more. It changes everything of who you are. And I think establishing the work of our hands becomes a response to knowing God. So as we, um, as we know God, as, as he reveals himself to us, then then we start to just want to respond to him lovingly and say, well, God, can you use what I have? Can you use my work? Can you use my, my finances, my, my life for you? Part of it is a response in that way. And I think another factor as well is, is recognizing the use of our time. You know, we want to ask God to establish the work of our hands because we want what we do here in this short life to have meaning and purpose. But yet we were probably the first, well, maybe not the first generation, but one of the, the recent generations that actually we've got perhaps a lot of leisure time. You know, we're no longer having to just survive day by day to make ends meet, especially in the Western culture that we live in. You know, we, we have generally perhaps a lot of leisure time. 
And that both is, is wonderful because leisure is good and we need to relax and, and recharge in life. But it's also a challenge, isn't it? Because, well, God, can you establish a work of my hands as I spend eight hours watching YouTube or playing Call of Duty 3 or uh, trawling through the Twitterverse or all the other things I would love to do? You know, all these things that we can use our time for. But can we really pray, God, can you establish the work of my hands in that? Is it not more that, well, actually, we, we respond and respond to you, and therefore we want to build your kingdom. We want to build your kingdom here in this earth. Can you establish the work of our hands in this life as, as we seek to do that for you? And I guess that brings us right into what, what, how do we respond to this? How do we... Uh, respond to this call in, in a short and hard life to call out to this loving and everlasting God. Perhaps that's the first port of call as we as a, as a church need to think about. And we've got this wonderful gift and opportunity to be part of, of a new church, to be part of Trinity Chippenham. And, and that's crazy in some ways because there's so much to do and there's so much going on and everyone's really busy. And it's a challenge, isn't it, as well to say, Lord, how can I use my time for this? How could you use me to establish this church, to establish this work that we're trying to do in here in Chippenham. How could you use me day by day? So I think it's a challenge for all of us and how we're going to use our time and how God is going to establish this work here in Chippenham. And I think we're going to hopefully learn this lesson week by week as we come together as church. We're going to recognize that, that life can be short, that life can be difficult, and, and we're going to try and carry each other's burdens practically as a church. You know, that might mean at some point overcoming some sense of our Britishness. Yeah. And I might not be able to say that in a couple of weeks' time. But overcoming our sense of Britishness and that, oh, I don't really want to get involved in people's lives and that's awkward. And we like to be private and we like to be somewhat proud as well as to what we can achieve. Maybe it means getting past that and actually caring and loving for each other, as, as Becky was saying, as, as Peter was um, alluding to in the vision as well, the value that, that we want to be people that can carry each, other burdens, each other's burdens practically in love in this short and difficult life. And week by week, we're going to come back to this loving, eternal God, and we're going to call out to him as a church. Every Sunday, we're going to sing, we're going to pray as, you know, Be Thy My Vision was just incredible to read those words through. Lord, be my vision for this life. Be my everything for this life. When we're faced with the, the shortness, with the brevity of what's going to happen, when we're faced with the hardships, can we... Can we be like Moses, that even though that's happened, can we turn to you and can we call out to you? Can we praise your name week by week? Let's pray as we conclude. Lord God, I thank you that you are everlasting. Um, I thank you that you're in control, that you have perspective over our lives. And, and Lord, even though our lives are so short-lived and they're so brief, they're just over and then we fly away, then, Lord, we pray that in these days, these short days, that we would call out to you. We would recognize who you are, that we would be satisfied by your love, that our days would be full of joy as we know you. And Lord, we pray that you would establish the work of our hands. What we do day by day, that you would give meaning as we serve you, as we build your kingdom up. Practically, as, as we are part of this church, as we look to build this church up, would you establish the work of our hands as we recognize your beauty as you draw close to us? Lord, I pray that lesson would um, go deep into our hearts today, that you would be teaching us to have this heart of wisdom, as the psalmist says. 
And may we praise you that, that our hope is, is not just for this life, but if our, if our trust is in you, Lord Jesus, that our, our hope is in eternity. That we look forward to that day where, yes, this life may end shortly and, and quickly, but we look forward to eternity spent with you, enjoying you, knowing you. We pray this in your name. Amen.